John chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. John chapter 6. Um, we're going to play a little bit of a word association game to start. Little, you can interact with me. All right? we're gonna treat, it's like Wednesday night for a few minutes. You can interact with me. We, this is first Sunday in November. What's the first word that comes to your mind when you think of November? Word association. <laughs> I knew we'd get a little bit of different answers, but I think probably most of us would say when, you, when November rolls around, you know that we're entering into the, what we consider the holiday season, and the first one um, that's on the calendar um, is Thanksgiving. We, we, November and Thanksgiving are almost synonymous in our minds. We begin to think about the plans, and um, I don't know about y'all, but the last few years I've run around. Um, I, I get charged with cooking a turkey every year, and I've run around. Um, trying to round up a turkey at the last minute and round up injectables at the last minute and everybody said just make your own and I'm like I ain't that crafty I just want to make the turkey and be done with it so this year we went we got them before November even rolled around so I'm prepared for it this year um, besides when you think November then you think Thanksgiving besides gratitude because we gratitude and Thanksgiving are hand in hand they mean the same thing so and I've already gave you a hint here when you think November, you think Thanksgiving. When you think Thanksgiving, what's the next word that comes to mind? Excuse me. Busy. Ain't nobody hit the word I'm looking for. Food. <laughs> when, you think, when you think November, you think Thanksgiving. And when I think Thanksgiving, I think food. Now, when you talk about other holidays, they revolve around other things. Christmas, I know we all eat at Christmas. We eat at New Year's. But they, they have different... They revolve, Christmas revolves around the giving of gifts, um, family. But when you think about the one holiday out of the whole year that revolves around a table, um, it's Thanksgiving. So November, Thanksgiving, and then food. Now, I'll tell you, my mind goes to food pretty easily year-round. <laughs> you know, I, in fact, I think if we all be honest, when we get up in the morning, we think about what we're going to eat for breakfast, dinner, and supper. And we, we, I don't hardly get through with one meal for I'm already thinking about the next meal. So my mind goes pretty easily uh, to food, but November kind of highlights it. Um, I was in Kroger the week ahead of um, Halloween, and they had stuff sitting all out in the aisles, and it was all the traditional Thanksgiving foods, all the stuffings and um Stuff that people don't eat any time, any other time of the year, the cranberry salts and all that stuff. The aisles were full of it. So people, people, the grocers know that this is probably their biggest food holiday of the year, and they prepare for it. So think, think with me. We're going to do another little bit of a word association. Thanksgiving dinner is a highlight of the year for my family, for your, for most families. Um, why do we do it? What do we get from it? Love. Somebody else. What do we get from it? You ain't got to be super spiritual either. Yeah. Internal reflection. That's good. I mean, we do get the whole. You sit around a table full of people that you love and care for. That whole that whole attitude of gratitude just kind of rises up in you, you know, and you, you realize that we got we've got a lot better sometimes than we consider that we do. Um, let let me give you a list. This is and this is just me thinking, all right, out loud, and it really just kind of ties in with where I'm going this morning. 
almost a progressive list, all right? This is, if I, if I had to give you a progressive list of what Thanksgiving dinner does for me, um, I think the first word that comes to my mind is just enjoyment. I enjoy being with the family. I enjoy the laughter. I enjoy the conversations. Um, there's a lot that goes into prepping and getting ready for it. And I mean, you're, we, by the time you get to the actual dinner, everybody's physically, we, we, we run, but there's a level of it just, it's good to be together. It's, it's good to enjoy one another's company. <laughs> I don't know how much you can say about this, but we do get nourishment from it. I mean, there are people around the world that love to see our Thanksgiving tables set where they're at. Um, literally starving to death, and we, we, we gain nourishment from it. At the end of Thanksgiving dinner, there's a fullness. <laughs> um, sometimes it's a miserable fullness, but I'm going to call it something different. It's contentment. We get through with dinner. We've had a good time with family. We've enjoyed fellowship. We've enjoyed food. We sit down in the recliner, wherever you sit at, the back porch, outside, and there's, a, there's just a measure of contentment that we feel. Um, the fellowship, Lisa mentioned it, I think. And I don't know, I, this may not be true at your house or anywhere else, but I can tell you, after everybody has eaten and we have sat around for a few minutes and just kind of let food settle and enjoyed our dessert and enjoyed some fellowship, <laughs> Thanksgiving is one of the few holidays that it seems like after, and this may not be the case with you, but it is for us, everybody kind of jumps in there and helps get everything back together cleaning up they gather the dishes they 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 gather the leftovers they 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 wash they do whatever now men might not be as involved in that as women are but there's some service that comes along with it everybody what we usually do is we we the men are folding up tables and chairs wiping them off putting them back where they belong we're 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 serving one another we're helping one another at the end of that and i'm going somewhere with this um when you think about thanksgiving when you think about november thanksgiving food thanksgiving dinner um, all those things were on my mind, and it just kind of stirred my mind to consider um, our spiritual food. We, we spend a lot of time thinking about feeding our bodies. But the Bible has a whole lot to say about feeding our soul and our spirit. Um, I, and it ain't just about, um, we, all, we always run to the, that, that it is, it's the Bible. That's, that's our soul food, and it is, and we're going to talk about that some next week. Um, it, it corresponds good with Gideon Sunday. Um, but there's more to it than that. There's more places in the Bible where the Bible talks about spiritual food other than just reading the Bible and studying the Bible itself. And, um, and so I want to talk about feeding our spirit and our soul. And we're going to do this through the month of November. Um, if, you, if you think about ministry for a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm coming down to my text. This is a, I'm setting it all up um, for the text. If you think about ministry as a whole, we spent several weeks talking about evangelism. If you think about the entire scope of the gospel ministry, there are just two, there, there's primarily just two critical pieces of gospel ministry. And the first is evangelism. That's winning the loss to Jesus. That's all it is. That, that's, that's the purpose of the church in the world is winning the loss to Jesus. But after you win the loss to Jesus, the other side of that gospel ministry coin is discipleship. And, and, and everything that discipleship... Now, you can say a lot about discipleship, um, growing us into the likeness of Christ, and all that's true. 
But ultimately, the reason all of that happens in our life is so that we can be a good evangelist for Jesus. That, that's all gospel ministry is. It is win the lost and train the lost to win other lost. It is, it is evangelize the lost and when they're saved, disciple them so that they um, can come back full circle and make more um, disciples, that they can win more souls. My good friend Michael, Michelangelo James, who's the mayor in Waycross, um, their church's ministry statement is um, uh, reproducers, reproducing reproducers. And um, that's kind of the evangelism, discipleship, evangelism, the circle of gospel ministry. So we've talked a good bit about evangelism and what our purpose is in evangelism the last few weeks. If you want to talk about discipleship, I would say that, that in order to make a disciple, in order for someone to become a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, somebody that's following Jesus, um, following his example, doing what he did, winning souls, and making other disciples. Um, disciples are made from a regular diet of spiritual food. That's how we become disciples. Now, you can be, you can be a convert. You can be converted to Christ and never really become a true disciple and a follower. If you want to become a true disciple of Christ that works in the ministry of evangelism and makes other disciples, then you've got to have a regular diet of spiritual food yourself. Now, I didn't know this. I mean, I, 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 I love the fact that you can Google about anything you want to Google on the computer anymore. So, but I, this thing had my thought processes just kind of running. I went to a bunch of scripture that talked about... Um, the spiritual food, the nourishment our soul and our spirit needs. Um, but I, I looked up just the whole process of, of our digestive system. I love, this is, I love the fact that God has illustrated spiritual truth for us all over nature. Uh, well, you know what the parables are? It takes physical realities and, and helps us see spiritual th truth through them. So I, I looked up um, on the computer what a human being's digestive process is. And it blew my mind because it tied right into everything I'd read in the scripture about feeding ourselves spiritually. And I'm going to unpack that through the month of November. Um, uh, here's the process. Now, if you look at some places, they'll give you five steps in the digestive process and some will give you seven. Um, but some of those are kind of interconnected with each other. And the basic outline of our whole digestive process physically um, can be can be pretty much summarized in four steps. Ingestion, not indigestion. You get that sometimes too when you eat. But ingesting, that's just eating. That's just putting it in. Um, digestion, we're going to cover some of that next week. That's taking what's been put in and, and absorbing it. You can. Some people use the word absorption. Some people break that into two, digestive being the chewing up and the absorption being the taking it into the different place in your body. But, 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 but I pulled them together. Assimilation, which is where that food begins to give energy to your body, um, health to your body, where it begins to, to work itself out in and through you. And then the last part, and this is, you, <laughs> we're going to cover it. Um, it probably hadn't ever been preached in this church and probably hadn't ever been preached in a lot of churches, but the egestion or the ejection, however you want to talk about that. We're not going to get gross, I promise you we're not going to get gross, but your body rejects that that is not healthy and wholesome for it. And there's, there's scripture that talks about that in depth. 
Um, God designed our bodies to work this way. And I think when you talk about our spiritual food and our spiritual diet and becoming disciples, the, th- the same process happens in us spiritually that happens in us physically. So um, we can gain the same things from, from that spiritual diet that we gain from that Thanksgiving dinner. When you, I, I, I've said this before and I'll say it until if you're bored with your Christian life, you ain't doing it right. Um, if you're bored with your Christian life, you ain't doing it right. What, what, if, if you begin this process, this spiritual digestive process, and you follow it through your life, you're going to gain the same things that you gain from a good Thanksgiving dinner or any good dinner. Um, the enjoyment of it, the nourishment of it, the fullness of it, the contentment of it, the fellowship of it, and, and even the service that's related to it. Um, if you get yourself a good spiritual diet going and digest these things that the Bible tells us to, and they begin to assimilate themselves into our life, um, we'll see change take place. We'll see uh, content. We'll see fulfillment. We'll see discipleship uh, taking place. So let's eat. All right. Let's eat. That's the title of the series. The whole series is Let's Eat. And we're going to apply that four point digestive process to our spiritual food at a nice restaurant. I ain't talking about McDonald's or something like that. Let me give you, let me just call a restaurant by name that people be familiar with. Um, Longhorn or Texas Roadhouse is my favorite. What's the first thing they sit on your table for you to eat? Rolls. Bread. First thing that they set on the table for you to eat at nice places typically, um, even at Italian restaurants, they'll give you bread, dip it in a little oil. You know, it's usually bread. It's free. I wonder what would happen if you just went in, Longhorn said, Ordered a drink and said, "Bring me them rolls." And then when they come back out, take your order. Said, "I'm I'm good. All I want is the rolls." <laughs> and the truth is, sometimes we eat the rolls till we don't want. We can't eat the rest of what they bring us. But we start with the bread. That's good. There's there's a spiritual concept um, behind that. Um, some folks won't eat without bread. I remember Brother Hinky boy. He wanted to know, even when we had Sunday dinners. He I heard him ask the question before. Where's the bread? Edward nodded his head back there. Brother Hinky ate bread with his meal. A lot of them old-timers do that. Um, it, biscuits were essential. Bread was essential on the table. And what they do with it? They eat, it bef- they eat bread first. They eat bread through the meal. I, I remember seeing my granddaddy thousands of times sit at the table. He'd have a fork in one hand, a piece of bread in the other. He'd spoon food and take a bite of bread. He ate the bread first. He ate the bread throughout the meal. And what you do with the bread at the end of it? Mop that plate up with the bread. So when you eat, it's, it's, it's all about the bread. Physically, that's, that's, a, that's generally how we approach eating in our society. And spiritually, um, ingestion of the bread is the first step. And, 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 the, and it should be the foremost step and the final step in becoming disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So look with me in John chapter 6. And I, I don't, I'm not going to try to take this and, and explain every verse in it. It's, it is, it's a passage that's a little bit hard to read. Uh, it's not that hard to understand when you understand that Jesus is talking about physical things in a spiritual sense. Look at John chapter 6, verse 32. This is the first I am statement that Jesus made in John. When he, now, that, he's identifying himself with his Father, with God, as God, when he says, I am. Seven times in the Gospel of John he said, I am. But the first time he said, I am, 
um, he's talking about bread. He's talking about eating the bread of life. John chapter 6, verse 32. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. That's the, those folks that he fed, the 5,000 that he fed said, Lord, we want some of that. We want more of that bread that you gave us. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now just jump down to verse 47. You can read all those other verses in between if you want to. He's given some clarity to it, but verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now, I know that Jesus says some, it, some of the things that Jesus says shocked his Jewish audience. In fact, these are people that were forbidden to eat anything that had blood in it. They had to drain the blood out of everything. But here Jesus is saying, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And, and if, you eat, um, if you eat this bread and drink this blood, then you have everlasting life. He said over and over, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. So this audience that Jesus is speaking to, they're following him because of the miracle of the loaves and the fish. He fed 5,000 men. Um, with those loaves and, and, and fish and took up 12 baskets full. And these people like, this is a miracle that, that he produced physical food for us to fill our bellies and there was still some left over. And so they're following him to see that miracle reproducing itself in their life. And, and they, talking, they, they, they went back and said, you know, God give our fathers manna from heaven. And Jesus says, he's given you something better than manna. Um, he's given you not a physical food to sustain your physical life, but he sent me to be the bread from heaven so that whoever eats this bread um, will live forever. So, so I'm going to make a couple of just simple statements, and, um, and, and then we're going to run with this thought of, of eating the bread of life, um, the Lord Jesus Christ. We eat food to fill our empty bellies. Um, the, the, those boys lost at sea. I hope they find them any day now. But this is this is how that conversation usually goes when you when you talk about them being lost at sea. How long can they go without food? I mean, when you get in a situation like they're in, and I hope they had a, ample provision. When you get in a situation like they're in, uh, within a within 24 hours into that loss, wherever they're at, 
The first, the first thoughts that come to their minds, we got to have water and we're going to have to have food. We can't live without food. So we eat food to fill our empty bellies so that we can live, so that we can survive, and even so that we can thrive, so we can have the energy and the strength that we need to do whatever we need to do. If you got in a, in a wilderness survival situation, you'd have to find something to eat if you want to live. You'd have to find something to eat if you want to survive. You'd have to find something to eat if you want to be able to move towards being to, towards being found, um, towards taking care of your, your needs. So we eat food to fill our empty bellies. We also need to eat to fill our empty souls. Um, and, and Jesus, the bread of life, is the first thing that we need to eat. <laughs> the foremost thing we need to eat. And the final thing that we need to eat. Now, when Jesus used the term eating and drinking in that text that we just read, those terms are synonymous and you can see it. He's weaving it in there. When Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, that, those two terms are synonymous um, with believing. They're not talking about you physically eating his flesh and physically drinking his blood. This is not, this is not the Catholic doctrine of a transubstantiation where the bread and the cup actually become the body and blood of Jesus. We believe they're symbolic of that. We don't believe they become that. Um, when Jesus talks about eating and eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he's talking about believing in him. He's talking about um, taking in everything that he is into ourselves. Um, only the bread of life, only Jesus can feed and fill our soul. And when you talk about ingesting Jesus, when you talk about taking him in, um, we're talking about making Jesus, uh, making all of Jesus a part of all of us. Um, believing him in the sense that he changes us completely from the inside out. That he both feeds and fills our soul with himself. So when you, t when you talk about ingesting Jesus, um, th these things, I, I know I say this often in different ways, but we need to say it over and over and over. What does it mean to feed yourself on the bread of life? What does it mean to feast upon the bread of life? It means to feast by faith in who he is. Um, we need to think often about who Jesus is. He is the virgin born. Son, only begotten Son of the one true and living God who lived, according to the Scriptures, a perfect life, that He never sinned, that He was not born with a sinful nature, that He didn't, uh, that he didn't take Adam's nature upon Himself um, because He was born of the seed of the woman. Um, he was virgin born. He lived a sinless, perfect life. Never sinned in what He thought, never sinned in what He said, never sinned in, 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 in what He did. We feast by faith on that. You don't know another man like that. I don't know another man like that. The world doesn't know another man like that. There's never been another man who walked the face of the earth that it can be said was the virgin born, only begotten son of God who lived a perfectly sinless life. Nobody. We feast on that. We all think about that. Every day of our lives, we ought to feed on that and believe that. Secondly, we ought to feast by faith on what he did. Jesus Christ didn't owe a sin debt, but he paid a sin debt. He paid a debt. 
he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. He offered himself as the sacrificial substitute to atone for all our sin so that the Bible says he's able to save everybody to the uttermost when we come unto God by and through him. He laid his life down so we wouldn't have to. He shed his blood so we wouldn't have to. He was forsaken by the Father so we wouldn't have to be. Um, the course of that song that we sing, I think we might even sing it last Sunday or the week before last, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon the cross. There's truth in that. I'll never know that. I'll never have to know that because Jesus took that penalty upon himself. He took my pain upon himself. By his stripes we're healed. Um, he, he, he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He atoned for our sins. He took care of them. Um, he nailed them to his cross and gave to us his righteousness. So we feast by faith in who he is. We feast by faith in what he did for us. We feast by faith in what he said. Now I want you to hear, more, hear me. Every precept, every principle, every promise, and every prophecy in the Bible is wrapped up in the bread of life. Every, all of it. The Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 point us to Jesus. Everything in this book is about Jesus. Now, you can break it down into little subsections all that you want to, but ultimately, the scarlet thread of redemption begins when the, when the lamb was slain because of the sin of Adam and Eve against God and goes all the way to the end of the book where he's still the lamb that was slain from before the foundation of the world. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Every principle and every precept he illustrated for us, he walked it out for us. Uh, he not only gave it to us, um, spoke it to us, but he came and lived it out before us. So every principle, every precept, every, uh, every uh, promise in God's word is wrapped up in Jesus. All of the prophecies of the Bible ultimately point us to Jesus. Every piece of furniture in the temple point us to the work and the ministry of Jesus. Every office, prophet, priest, king, I preached that last year, every office is wrapped up in Jesus. So we, so, so we feast by faith in who he is, we feast by faith in what he did, and we feast by faith in what he said in his word. Uh, if we don't make Jesus first, foremost, and final, remember, get this, I want you to get these pictures in your mind. Jesus taught in parables for a reason. Because parables stick with us. Because we see physical things illustrating spiritual truths. So I want you to get this in your mind. First thing they serve you at a nice restaurant is bread. And, and, and think about that, that old tradition. The bread is the first thing that sits that sit on the table. And, and you eat it first. And you eat it through your meal. And when you're done with the meal, you sop up the gravy with the bread. So I want you, I want you to get this, this image of Jesus in your mind. He's the first thing that you ingest. He's the foremost thing that you ingest. He's the last thing that you ingest. And if you don't make Jesus first, foremost, and final in your life, um, if you don't ingest that bread of life every day, then nothing else matters. You know what happens when people read the Bible and they lose sight of Jesus? They become legalistic, pharisaical. When, when, when people don't read the Bible and they, just, and they just focus on maybe an example of Jesus and not what he said, they become liberal in their interpretations. Jesus has to saturate everything that we do. We have to make him a part of everything that we take into us. Uh, and, and I mean that. I, Jesus is the reason 
Why do you read the book? Why do we digest the Bible? Because Jesus is the main subject of it. Because Jesus is the one who spoke it to us. Why do we assimilate the Bible into our life? Because of what he said in it. Because it makes us become more like him. Because he uses us as we submit ourselves to his word. There's a, there's, a whole, there's a whole section of the Bible that deals with us rejecting. I, I, I'm not going to preach this message before the last Sunday of the month, but the Apostle Paul said everything in his life before Christ was dumb. That's part of the digestive process. He said everything in his life that, that, that he, listen, he was as Pharisee as scribe. He read the Bible front to back. He knew the Bible like most men. He, he knew the Bible like none of the other apostles knew the Bible. He'd been a student of God's word, but, but what he said in Philippians is all of that understanding that I had before Jesus was worthless. Why? Because Jesus got to be first, foremost, and final, or nothing else matters. And so he said, what do I do with all that stuff? I set it aside because it's worthless without Jesus. So I want to tell you, reading your Bible without seeing Jesus and who he is and what he did and what he said, reading, uh, trying to assimilate the Bible into your life without Jesus being first, foremost, and final in it, trying to serve him, trying to minister, trying to do all those things without Jesus being the centerpiece, the first thing that you take in, it's all worthless. It's all, it's all, it's all meaningless. I don't know, how many of y'all ever listened to Ben Shapiro? Man, that dude is one of the most intellectual. I, won't, I wouldn't debate him. <laughs> that dude is a debater. I love to hear him, man. He'll, he'll, he'll rip some liberals apart. The, 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 whether you're talking about the transgender ideologies or, or being pro-life. Um. It, it really doesn't matter. I mean, this dude is super intelligent and a, a number one debater. I ain't standing up asking him nothing. But I was real sad the other day listening to somebody interview him. You know that Ben Shapiro is a Jew. He's Jewish. And so the guy asked him, so um, you're Jewish you believe the first five books of the Bible, the prophets? He does. And, and so the guy said, so what do you think about Jesus? Is he a prophet? And Ben said, no, he's not a prophet. So is he the Messiah? No, he laughed. He said, absolutely, he's not the Messiah. He's not the Christ. And so he said, so what is Jesus to you? And he said, he's a revolutionary. He was a political revolutionary. As much as I admire Ben Shapiro and what he does standing up in the culture, he don't know Jesus like I know Jesus. And I want to tell you, Ben Shapiro is lost without Jesus, just like all the rest of Israel's lost without Jesus. Knowing, the five, knowing and believing the first five books of the Bible and knowing and believing the prophets and still rejecting Jesus. He's first, foremost, and final. Everything in the book is about Jesus. 
to be a disciple of Christ, our lives in totality have to revolve around who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what Jesus said. If, if we're going to become like Christ so that we can evangelize the world to Christ, then we've got to take him in every day, beginning, middle, and end. Um, you've heard the statement before, you are what you eat. And you can tell I eat a lot of little Debbie's. You are what you eat. But let's think about that from a spiritual perspective. If you, talk, if, if you want to talk about our spiritual life, our soul life, I think, I think maybe one of the reasons that we are sometimes so spiritually unhealthy, weak, and ineffective is that we lack eating the bread of life every day. We don't take in enough Jesus. We don't take in enough Jesus. We don't take in enough Jesus. Now, I don't know. I, I hope you're tracking with me. I hope you're following me. But this is, you know what? When I first went into ministry, man, I was, I was way too legalistic and way too hard and way too critical. Um, that's, that's a message for another day. But you know what changed my life? You know what's changed me? Just getting to know Jesus better. When you start making Him your daily meditation, when you start singing about who He is, speaking out loud what He did, reflecting on all the things that, that He said and has promised us, you know what Peter said? If, if, if we want to avoid falling, if we, want to, if we want to avoid becoming weak and ineffective and, and unhealthy spiritually, if, if we want to avoid getting tangled up in false stuff and carried away, you know what he said to do? Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Recognize what He's done for you. Grow in His grace and grow in knowledge of Him. What's He saying? Eat the bread. Every day. Beginning, middle, end. Eat the bread of life. You can't, you can't make too much of Him. So I want to close with just a little bit of blending of those two. Discipleship begins with evangelism and ends at evangelism. It's a circle. Being saved is where the circle begins. Um, and when it comes full circle, you'll be seeing other people converted and making um, converts and then disciples out of them. That's the whole process of ministry. But I want to blend the two together a little bit. Um, and this is, just, I, this is just something I just kind of want you to chew on. I'm not going to try to dig it out. It's something I've been chewing on for a long time. Maybe there's a message here one day, um, but I'm not trying to preach you a, a separate message. But let me just ask you a question. Where does bread start? In fact, I, I can even phrase it like this. It ain't just where bread starts. It's where every natural food that we eat has a beginning. And what is that beginning? Seed. 
Bread starts as seed. It, I mean, if you, get, if you want to get technical about it, even the flesh that we eat begins with seed. Everything begins with seed. Now, this is just, this is, I guess this is, I would just say this is cool to me. In Genesis chapter 1, um, Zach, just throw it up there. I don't, I don't want to take time to turn to it. Here's what God said in Genesis 1. Y'all just read this in Sunday school. Let the earth bring forth grass, herb yielding seed, the fruit tree yielding her fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself. Listen, there's, there's the whole concept of evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism and discipleship. The tree yields fruit, and that fruit has seed inside of it upon the earth. And it was so, the 12th verse. The earth brought forth grass, the herb yielding seed after his kind, the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. There's a, there's a physical, natural process of food production that God set in place that illustrates for us the whole concept of gospel ministry, evangelism, discipleship. Now, the first promise, it, all fruit, all food begins with a seed. All food begins with seed. The first promise that the Bible made of Jesus in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he was called the seed of the woman. And it's that seed that became the bread of life. And whoever eats that, that bread has whatever lasting life. And, and, and what you do when you ingest that seed is that seed is in the form of bread. It is in you and it re reproduces itself then through you. So you got the same things going on in nature every day going on inside the life of the believer. Why? Because we eat the bread. We ate the seed. Now, I, I, I'm not going to get bogged down here. I need to quit. But First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, I've quote, I quote this verse often and I need to come and just dig it out sometimes a little bit deeper. Zach, you got that one in there? 1 Peter 1.23 says that we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So Genesis 3.15 talks about a seed of a woman. 1 Peter chapter 1 says that you're born again, not of a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. So the seed of the word, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, takes root in our heart by faith, and then it begins to reproduce itself. The, the word that, that is translated in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, you're born again by seed, an incorruptible seed, that word is logos. That's the same word that John used for him in his gospel when he said, um, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He, he, he went on to say that as many as received him, to them gave he power to, be, to, to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. So every Christian's life begins, grows, and reproduces because of our faith in Christ. You understand me? Every Christian's life begins when we take Jesus in, when we believe who he is, what he did, and what he said. 
Every Christian's life um, grows. We become disciples as we digest what the Bible says about Him and what the Bible says to us concerning Him. Um, that's that whole business, and we'll cover that next week. How do we take the Word and begin to digest it, assimilate? The Word's about Jesus, but it's there for us to, to assimilate into our lives. So our life begins with Christ, it grows in Christ, and it reproduces because of Christ in us. That whole, the whole um, process of becoming His witnesses to the world is all because of our faith in Christ. Maybe I went a long way around to say it, but you got to start with the bread. you got to start with the seed, which is the bread, which is Christ. Um, do you believe who Jesus is? Meditate on that day in and day out. Do you believe what Jesus did? Don't ever let Calvary escape your mind. Don't ever let the empty tomb be out of your thoughts. Get up in the morning and think about Jesus. When you eat that bread at lunch, think about Jesus. You can't, you can't get too much Jesus in your life. Um, everything else is connected to that. Everything else revolves around that. Everything else flows from that relationship that we have with Jesus. And if you don't know him, all you have to do to plant him in your heart is to believe who he is, what he did. And what he says. That's it. Jesus said whoever eats this bread and drinks this blood. Whoever ingests me into their life. Whoever believes in me has everlasting life. If you want to be a better disciple. If you want your life to count for eternity. If you want to see other people saved. You gotta, you, you've got to eat. Let's eat. First. Foremost, finally, every day, the bread of life, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is absolutely, utterly, completely impossible for any of us to make too much of Jesus. Amen? You can't say too much about him. Jesus said of himself, no man's coming to the Father except if he, unless he comes by me. There's one mediator who stands between God and men. And that's the man, Christ Jesus. You can't say too much about him. You can't think too much about him. You can't speak too much about him. You can't get too much of that bread. That's, that's what it's all about, is pulling him into our lives and letting him take over everything that we are and become a part of everything that we are. Let's stand together. Sister Pam, you want to come and play us a song? Lord, we thank you for your word. I'm, I'm thankful, Lord, don't matter how often I study it, how many times I read it, and there's still, there's still meat there for us. There's still things that have never been uncovered. There's still a sweetness in it. There's, we'll never plumb the depths of it. Lord, I pray you'd just help us get a hold of this very, very simple thought this morning. That everything about our spiritual life, from beginning to end, from being born into the kingdom to being healthy in the kingdom to fulfilling our purpose in the kingdom. Every part of it. 
is about Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what he said. It's about Jesus in us. Jesus in us. That's the hope of glory. That's the only hope we have. And so I pray, Lord, if we, if we could take away anything from this message this morning, I, help us take these physical realities that we're confronted with every day. I pray we never look at a piece of bread the same way again. That we see it as a seed. And that we see our life as reproducing that. Lord, help me to make much of Jesus. Help us to make much of Jesus. I pray if there's one here this morning who's never been born again by that incorruptible seed, that they take a step of faith today and plant Jesus in their heart by faith. Have your will and your way in the invitation, and we'll praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.